So the reading from uh, Acts 21, starting at verse 1. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Koz, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasson of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Thanks, Alvin. All right, I'm going to do something just a little bit different this morning. Uh, what I want you to do, we've just read this passage, I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to comment on one thing that stood out for you as you're reading through this or a question that you have that comes out of it. So we've all read it, we've all listened to it. There's lots of questions actually in this passage. Uh, but turn to the person next to you and just kind of make a comment. One thing that stood out or one question that you have. Go, you've got two minutes. Or third, you actually got 60 seconds. Go. All right. All right, there's lots of questions in this passage. We'll cover some of them. We won't cover all of them. Uh, some of them you can just look up Google when you get home and uh, try and find an answer to. All right, let's uh, jump in uh, and let's pray before we do so. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've got your word. I thank you that you've spoken in the past and you speak to us still today. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you, by your spirit, would enable us to be attentive. Uh, help us to understand what's going on here. But Lord, also, we pray that you'd apply it to our lives and you change and shape our hearts through it. 
And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, I I wonder whether you have ever uh, thought about quitting uh, your job or a job in the past. It's probably a pretty dumb question, isn't it? (laughs) I reckon that most of us at some point or another uh, have considered quitting our job. Um, Except me, of course. Uh, I would never consider quitting uh, my job. How could you? But it's true, isn't it? There There are days at work that just make us ask the question, is this really worth it? Is it worth the hassle? Uh, Is it worth the inconvenience? Is it even worth the money? Uh, Maybe you have one of those really bad client days or customer days, and you just think, oh, I've had enough of this one. Or maybe maybe you've had a bad boss day, and you think, I've really had enough of you. Uh, Maybe you've had a a grasses on the green, greener on the other side day, and you think there's got to be a job out there that's just easier and has cooler people and, and pays me more to do less. Uh, surely there's got to be a job out there. Should I be looking for something else? Well, this morning I actually want to ask you a, a kind of related question. And the question is this. Uh, have you ever thought about quitting the Christian life? I wonder if you've ever asked the question, um, is following Jesus worth it? Uh, Is it worth the hassle, the trials, the pain, the people, uh, the things that we have to put up with? I reckon if we're honest, we've all asked that question at one time or another. Hopefully, you asked that question before you became a Christian. Uh, Jesus actually encourages us to do that, doesn't he? Uh, he encourages us to count the cost of following him, to, to know what it's going to cost us, and then to ask the question, is it worth it? But my guess is that even since then, many of us have asked the question. And maybe it's not just outright quitting it all up, but asking the question, maybe I should just take a step back from it. Maybe I should stop taking it all so seriously. Maybe I need to stop investing in it the way that I have. I wonder if it's possible that some of us might be doing that at the moment as we're here. Well, today we are jumping into this section in Acts. And in a way, we're filling off this little journey section that we've been in for the last couple of weeks where Paul has been making his way to the city of Jerusalem. It's a journey which he indicated all the way back in chapter 19, where he said, I must go, the Spirit compels me, to go visit the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, then to go on to Jerusalem, and finally his goal, his destination point, is going to be Rome. Now as he's gone along, and this journey has taken him about a year, the intensity of what he is about to face in Jerusalem has become all the more clear. And it's certainly evident in this chapter. And as he makes his way closer to the city of Jerusalem, Paul is facing the challenge. Does he quit? Or does he continue in the work that God has laid out for him to do? 
the mission and the ministry that the Lord Jesus has called him to. So today what we're going to do is we're going to have a look at this challenge that Paul faces here. Looking at the challenge that he faces, but also the example that he gives us as he follows in the way of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to do that so that we might be encouraged to press on in the midst of difficulty, drawing on the strength which God promises to provide us. We're going to do three things. You've got your, uh, you've got your outline, hopefully, in front of you that you got at the welcome desk. Firstly, we're going to have a look at the way of Jesus as experienced by Paul and by experienced by followers of Jesus since that time. And then we're going to have a look at two means, two ways that Christ encourages us and spurs us on in that way. We're going to spend most of our time on the first point. The last two we're just going to cover a little bit more briefly. All right, as I said then, let's jump in. Let's have a look at that first one. As I said, Paul is fo Luke is following the journey of Paul here to Jerusalem. The ultimate goal is Rome. And here in chapter 21, verse 1, he starts by leaving the city of Miletus where he has just spent time with the Ephesian elders. And over these 16 verses, you'll notice that there are a lot of different towns that Paul and his companions visit. And basically what these are is these are stops, overnight stops, on the ship that he is traveling on. He goes from one city to the next during the daytime, he stops there for a night, and then he moves on. Except there are two exceptions in there. We have two longest stays recorded here. The first is in the city of Tyre, and that's down there starting at verse 4. And then he stays a little bit longer in the town of Caesarea. Now, I don't know if you noticed this as we were reading through, but both stops follow a similar pattern. Let's have a look. First of all, Paul and his companions seek out fellow believers in that city. It tells us there in verse 4, uh, right at the start, they're entire, and it says, and having sought out the disciples. In Caesarea, they go to the house of someone that we've met before. Uh, they go to Philip. And the last time we saw Philip, he was with the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, he was one of the seven in chapter 6 who were set aside to help care for the widows in the church of Jerusalem. Now we find him living in the city of Caesarea and living there with his daughters. Now, next, after they've sought out the, whole, the fellow believers, next we have a warning that comes to Paul from the Holy Spirit through the believers about what awaits him in the city of Jerusalem. There it says in verse 4 uh, that we stayed with them and that through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And we're going to look at what's happening there in a little bit. If that was one of your questions, good question. We'll try to answer it in a little bit. And then in Caesarea, we have this prophet named Agabus who comes down and he kind of acts out what's going to happen to Paul when he gets to Jerusalem. It's kind of like an object lesson. It's like we do kids' talks some Sundays. You know, Agabus comes down, he ties up his, his wrists, and he ties up, and he says, this is what's going to happen uh, to you, Paul. Next, we have an urging from the believers then to Paul not to go on in his journey. After it becomes clear that this is what awaits him, his fellow companions even say, Paul, let's stop. Let's not go there. And then finally, we have the decision to move on 
towards Jerusalem. And we have this kind of heartfelt farewell from the believers in that city. Uh, it's there in verse uh, 5, um, in chapter 21, in Tyre. They went down to the beach. They knelt down and they prayed. They said their farewells. And you get the same thing happening at the end of their time in Caesarea. Now, I want to suggest uh, that Luke is very intentional about the way that he pitches this journey to Jerusalem for us. And he's actually describing this journey to Jerusalem in a way that should be or could be somewhat familiar to us. Now remember, Luke is writing Acts, and this is part two of his two-part saga. Part one focused on the work of the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry. Part two focuses on the work of the Lord Jesus through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit bringing witness to him. Now, in that first part, that first story, Luke had another journey to Jerusalem. It was the journey of Jesus himself. A journey that has lots of similarities to this one. You see, Luke describes that journey in the Gospel of Luke as one long, continuous passage with lots of stops. It starts all the way back in chapter 9. It goes for about 12 chapters. And Jesus has his face set towards Jerusalem, and he's heading there with intent. Now we've got the same thing happening with Paul. He's been heading towards Jerusalem, and he's been heading there with intent. Just as Jesus predicted his death three times along that journey, now we've had three predictions of Paul's arrest and trial and things that await him in Jerusalem. The first one was last week in chapter 20 when he was talking to the Ephesian elders about what happens going to happen. Now we've had two more predictions about that arrest in Jerusalem. Jesus faced the urging of the disciples not to go. Not to go to Jerusalem because of the arrest that awaits him. Now we have Paul also being urged by his fellow companions and the disciples not being warned not to go up to Jerusalem. And now we've had, in both cases, we have Jesus and then Paul ultimately submitting to the will of God, fulfilling the calling that God has given them. Now, why would Luke do this? Is Luke trying to say that Paul is like Jesus? Is he, is he like saying Paul is a second Jesus or the new Jesus? No, he's not doing that at all. But he is highlighting Paul in a very special way. You see, in some ways, throughout the New Testament, Paul is seen as the link between the life of Jesus and the life of the disciples. Paul, in many ways, is unique in his calling. He is an apostle. We are not apostles. He has a unique calling to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to the Gentiles to lay the foundation for God's church. But Paul is also used as the model disciple. He even says in some of his letters, follow me as I follow Christ. 
He's used uniquely as a model or an example for other believers to continue on after as he follows Jesus. Now, what's he modeling here? Well, he's modeling that the life of the believer is the life and the way of Jesus. It's the way of suffering. It's the way of trial and hardship and obedience to God in the midst of that. It's about living your life, as, as he says there in verse uh, 20, uh, sorry, verse 14, for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, the other day I received this email and it had some advertising on it for a new estate uh, that they are building out near we li where we live. And I must still be on somebody's mailing list from the time that we bought our block of land and we built our, our house. And so I got sent this email and it had this incredibly uh, glossy kind of brochure of what this new housing estate is going to look like. And it looked incredible. You know, there was like tree-lined streets and parks and wide, uh, wide streets and big, big yards uh, for people to live in and play in. And I thought, this looks amazing. I was like, I'm going to get on the phone. I'm going to tell Trace that we're going to build again. And then I thought, no, I'm not, because I like my house and I don't like sleeping on the couch. So I'm going to uh, not do that. But then I thought, I looked at the last page, and then I saw the map of where this is. And I was like, I know where that is. Like, I drive past it every day. And it is no way looks anything like this brochure, and it never will. I mean, it's small, and it's cramped. There's no room for parks. There's no room for parking, uh, pretty much. Uh, it is not going to look anything like this brochure. Now, sometimes I wonder if we think of the Christian life like a glossy brochure that highlights all of the good things about following Jesus. Now, to be sure, there are incredible blessings in being a believer. I mean, sins forgiven, <laughs> right with God, eternal life, you know, new community of people to belong to. It's amazing. Uh, but there is more to it. And Paul's life shows that. Uh, we follow the way of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus who suffered, who was rejected, uh, who was misunderstood, who was left abandoned, who suffered all his life and who suffered intensely on the cross before he rose again to glory. There is glory coming, but it is the way of suffering to get there. When Jesus says, come follow me, this is what he is calling us to. He's calling us to giving everything for the sake of his name. Now, as I say that, and I was thinking about this this week, I do, do so knowing that for some of us, uh, that's pretty real at the moment. We know quite personally and intimately the suffering and the trial that we're called to. Uh, 
that may be in our own bodies, in our health, our physical state, not doing what we want it to do. It might be in the ministries that we're involved with, that it's hard work and it, it doesn't seem to be achieving what we want it to achieve. It might be as parents. The reality of kids growing up and, and maybe not walking with the Lord. It may be as trying to be a witness in the community that God has placed us. And sometimes we just need to be reminded that suffering and trial and hardship is a part of the life of the way of Jesus. It's not a sign that we've got it all wrong or that God has abandoned us or God doesn't love us. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But possibly some of us need to be challenged by this because sometimes we avoid hardship and we avoid suffering for the name of the Lord Jesus. Maybe we avoid investing in people or investing in ministries or investing in the life of the church because, because we don't want the suffering and the hardship that goes with it. Maybe sometimes we avoid standing up for our faith because we don't want the difficulty that might come with that. Or we get frustrated when our life with Christ is not all about the up and up. It's not all just soaring and flying. And this can be a bit of a reality check. Uh, life is tough. Living for the sake of the Lord Jesus is going to be costly. Now as we think about this, we do need to realize that there is a major difference and an important difference between the way of Jesus and the way of Paul. Because Paul gets to Jerusalem um, and he doesn't die there. Whereas the Lord Jesus did. That was a once only event that the Lord Jesus did for all those who follow him. He was perfectly qualified to do that. As fully God and as fully man, he could represent us and he could represent us perfectly. His suffering and his death was enough to pay for the sins of all those who put their hope and who put their trust in him. So praise God that Jesus didn't just suffer as an example, but he suffered in our place so that we would not have to. But... <laughs> Paul's obedience in going to Jerusalem leads him, and we're going to be looking at this from next week, leads him to be arrested and ultimately to be taken to Rome where he will bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ in the center of the known world at that time. He will proclaim Christ to kings and rulers and to everyday people. So you might want to ask the question, why, why is the way of Jesus, the way for disciples, uh, the way of suffering and hardship? Because so often, that is the way that God grows his kingdom.
and he extends his reign and his rule here on earth. How often is it in our own lives that we experience something new of God and his grace and his nearness and his provision and his power as we go through a tough time? Sometimes he, he grows us in dependence. He, he renews our love for his word. Uh, he, he, he sparks within us a desire to be close to him through these times. If I think about the, the kinds of people that I look up to or have been impacting in my life, uh, so how often are they people who have suffered much for the sake of Christ, who are an example and an encouragement to others? So often it's through times of difficulty that God does his kingdom work and he does it clearly. All right, that's the first thing we want to notice, the way of Jesus. Now, one way we could wrap it up there, we're going to just look at two other things that, wanted, that happen in this passage. And I think they are here for a reason. They are two ways that the Lord encourages Paul in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this suffering, to keep going, to press on. It's two ways that the Lord continues to encourage his church, his people to carry on in struggle and in suffering today. The first is through his word. Now, there are lots of questions around this in this passage. But first of all, let's notice this. In both these cities where Paul stays, God is speaking to him and to his people by, his, by the Spirit. God is encouraging, he is giving his word to encourage them onward. Now, two difficulties are in here. We'll try and cover them really, really briefly. The first one is there in verse 4, where it appears that God tells Paul not, maybe appears that God tells Paul not to go to Jerusalem. You notice that? That through the Spirit, uh, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem, and yet we seem to have felt before that it was the Spirit who told Paul to go to Jerusalem. So, so what is happening here? Basic answer, you can look it up for more detail later. Uh, all the, pretty much all the commentators agree that God reveals through the believers what awaits Paul in Jerusalem, just like he did with Agabus, maybe not in such a kind of acted out kids talk way, uh, but he reveals what's going to happen. And on the back of that it is their urging to Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So it's not that the Holy Spirit is telling Paul not to go. It's not that Paul is disobeying God by going, but it is their interpretation that he shouldn't go on to Jerusalem. The second issue is the one in Caesarea where we have Philip, wonderful guy, who has four unmarried daughters uh, who are all considered to be, who are all prophesied. And we kind of think, hang on, what's going on there? Um, if they were sons, maybe we wouldn't have so much problem with it. Uh, but we've got daughters here who appear to be prophesying in the local church, in the, in the city. All right, just very briefly, uh, we've got to remember that we are talking about a period in the life of the church before we have the fully recorded Word of God, before we have the New Testament. And so we have the situation where God speaks to his people uh, through those who are called prophets in the early church, before the Word is given. Now, we believe, because we have the full New Testament, we don't need these prophets anymore. Because God speaks to us through his word and by his spirit 
through the Bible today. But these prophecies in the New Testament that we read about, they were there, they were not authoritative, and they were not infallible. We read elsewhere that the church was to test the prophecies. They were to make sure that they aligned with the Word of God. So we don't have an authoritative role in the church which everybody had to obey. Uh, we had people from amongst God's people who would share what the Spirit had put on their heart and that was to be tested in the life of the church. And so we're talking about a unique period in the history of God's dealings with his people that is different from what we had today. But the point in here should not be lost. God is encouraging his people by his word, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's a work that he continues to do today through his written word. That is how God spurs us on and encourages us in the midst of difficulty and trial and hardship. That's how he, he spurs us and he reminds us that it is worth it. Because in his word, he points us again and again to the Lord Jesus. And he shows us what he has done for us. And he says, it's worth it. Keep going. All right, second way in which God does that, what we see here, is that he does that through his church. He does it through his people. Do you notice the warmth as we read through this about the relationship between Paul and his companions and the churches that they visited? It's there in verse 1. It says they parted from the Ephesian elders. That word parted is, is kind of a weak translation. It's like more like tore themselves away. But remember the weeping at the end of Paul's speech last time because of the bond that they have together? In Tyre, we have like all the believers coming down to the beach to say goodbye, to farewell to Paul and his companions, kneeling down to pray, which is unusual. Normally they stood, so this is like a, a deeply serious moment. You have believers who open up their homes, who open up their lives to fellow believers. As they leave from Caesarea and they go to Jerusalem, some of, this is like a two, three-day walk. Some of the believers walk with them as a way of kind of encouraging them along. Notice, notice how God surrounds Paul with fellow Christians to spur him on and to keep him going in this difficult way that he's called him to. And how often does God still do that today? When we are going through a trial and a hardship and a suffering, he puts us in his community of people to love us, to speak the truth to us, to spur us on. Maybe at the moment you know, you know someone who's doing it tough. Can I encourage you? Get around them. Love them. Encourage them. Pray for them. Remind them that they are not alone in this. That God loves them. He's with them. He's encouraging them. And he's using his church to do that. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, it's hard uh, for us to think about and to remember um, that the life and the way of Jesus 
uh, it's often the way of suffering, uh, the way of trial and the way of hardship. Uh, Lord God, we, we, we readily confess that we want things to be easy. Uh, we want things to be pleasant. Um, and we, we try and avoid things that are hard. So Lord God, we, we pray that today you would remind us that we are called to suffer much for the sake of your name. Uh, and Lord God, we pray that you would spur us on and encourage us. For those amongst us at the moment, Lord, who are really doing it tough, I really pray that your word and your people uh, would work together uh, to strengthen, uh, to encourage, and to spur us on. Lord God, that we might all live faithfully for the sake of your name. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, sing a final song in a moment, uh, a song that speaks of God's will being done in our lives in good times and in hard times as well. But I want to just finish with these couple of words uh, from the book of Hebrews, which points us to the example that Jesus set. It says, Let us lay aside every weight and sing which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Amen. Let's stand and sing.